the vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're so grateful you've joined us here today. You might be listening live on 1150 AM KKNW or perhaps live on Transformation Talk Radio. Um, and you might be listening after the fact on one of the dozens of podcasts this ends up or on christineupchurch.com. But wherever and whenever you're joining us from today, I think you're going to be grateful you're here because we have... Um, Gosh, one of my favorite guests. He's been a guest a few times over the eight years I've been doing a show, and um, he's amazing. But before I introduce him, I want to say hello to the people behind the technology. I want to acknowledge Olivia on the Transformation Talk Radio end of things. Hey, Olivia. Hey, Christine. How are you? Um, hanging in there. How about you? Oh, yeah. Just trying to breathe out here, you know? <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's been an interesting week and a half. And hello to Benny in the KKNW studios. How are you doing? Very well. I'm trying to blow the smoke away from you. Is that helping at all? Okay, I guess not. No, I'm afraid not, Benny. Right, I'm, I'm full of something, but maybe not hot air. So there we go. Not, not enough of the hot air. Thank yes, you. Yes. All right, there was that. I do it. <laughs> and it's, you know, I'm, I'm up in the islands right now, and I things are starting to get a little better. It's funny because when you go from the, the it, you know, hazardous range of the air pollution values down to merely unhealthy. Mm -hmm. It's like, woo, you know, I can go outside for five minutes now. It's literally like uh, the one time we're actually looking forward to the rain. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and rain and some wind would be good too. And I apologize. We should all apologize to those who are living in the Midwest because they're getting it next, unfortunately, but hopefully we'll have dissipated some by then. I'm excited about our show today. We're going to be talking about growing big dreams and what a better, can there be a better time to create something new and better and, you know, before unimagined than now? Um, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting because we're going to be looking at this sort of the manifestation or the creation, which is, I think, a, a more preferable word for me, um, to create something new in a, in, a, in a very unusual way. And our guest today, oh my goodness, I adore him. He's Robert Moss. And he's been a dream traveler since doctors pronounced him dead when he was three. Um, from his experiences in many worlds, he's created the School of Active Dreaming. And we're gonna talk about active dreaming. And he has written many books. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He has lectured all over the world and run workshops and really imaginative, imaginative workshops. Um, and he has written numerous books, Conscious Dreaming, the, the Secret History of Dreaming, Dreaming the Soul Back Home. That was a really good one. The Boy Who Died and Came Back, Sidewalk Oracles. Oh, God, so, so many good ones here. Mysterious Realities. 
and he's got a new book out and I'm so grateful to have him here to talk about it. Growing Big Dreams, Manifesting Your Heart's Desires Through 12 Secrets of the Imagination. Uh, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Robert Moss. Hi, Robert. Good to be with you, Christine and Benny and Olivia. Good to be dreaming with you, seeing and finding our way through the smoke. You know, Robert, um, you've got this very impressive biography, but really, I think that the, the best thing I can say about you is you are the most fascinating person I've ever met. You're a woman of great taste and discernment. I love you, Christine. It's great. <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it's, it's so fascinating to look at the world through the lens of your eyes. And it's, um, it's kind of this, this fun way of reorienting our perspective towards truth. And one of the things I love about you is you don't just talk about the dream world in our sleeping state, but you bring that, I guess, through active dreaming into the waking state. Why is it right now with all that's going on in the world, it, why is it important that we start focusing more on the active dreaming? Well, let me give you a very simple example from this morning. I like news stories. It's a very small dream story from my life. It's tiny. I wake at 2.30 and I'm laughing and I'm happy and I feel refreshed and I feel strong and I feel really, really well, better than I've done for weeks with all this oppressive situation we're in. What have I done in my dream? Nothing much. It doesn't sound like anything much at all. I've been at a resort hotel somewhere like that, upscale, upscale bar and grill. I have a cheeseburger, which I don't eat very often in ordinary reality, perfectly fine cheeseburger. I always have a view of the sea. I'm with a male companion. We go down to a party room where a nice, elegant party is going to be underway. And there's a waiter in a white jacket. And he hands me what I think is a gin and tonic and an extra glass of ice. So I've got my two hands full of these flared glasses. I say, I've got something to do with my hands. And he starts laughing. He's gay. He thinks I'm teasing and flirting with him. I wake up in this ridiculous, <laughs> tiny little dream. Oh, I don't kick that way. But <laughs> no, Justin, I don't kick that way. So I wake up laughing. I think that was really fun. And I'm thinking, what I one thing, one thing's to know about dreaming right now is you can have a getaway. You can have a dream getaway. You know, if you can get to the island, great. If you can't physically get to the island, in your dream, maybe you can get to the island. I think I was actually back in my native Australia last night. I'm not quite sure. But I'm thinking as I come back as refreshed and happy as you would feel after just a fun outing, innocent outing, perfectly charming outing. Yes, you have your cheeseburger. Yes, you have gin and tonic. But that's about, that's about as complicated as it got. I stopped so good. And I thought, here's one of the things we need to know right now, whatever our circumstances. Dreaming, you can travel without leaving home. You can give uh -huh. yourself a break. You can have some yeah. fun. You can go visit someone on the other side of the world. Go visit the, the friend or the lover you're not able to see. And of course, you can travel to other worlds, worlds where strange and mysterious things happen and have adventures there. But the other thing which you introduced me by saying is this. You can look at the world all around you as a dream, full of symbols, full of signs, right. full of nods and nudges and winks and secret handshakes from the larger reality. So although I'm not getting out and about as much as I typically did before the pandemic, whenever I go out the door, I'm alert to what the world is giving me, that kid's chalk drawing on the sidewalk, you know, uh -huh. that, that, that snatch of music from the car going by, uh, that, that overheard bit of conversation, the crow tapping on the window. Or, yes. or, or, or talking from the tree, which you got just before we started. The crow is a yes. message. 
and it was so unusual because I've never had um, a crow tap on my window ever. And there it was sitting on the edge of the window right next to where we're filming this. And it was insistently tapping on the window. And I stood up and walked over there and then it flew away and it's sitting up in the tree right now. Yeah. So we've got this, this crow. And I think of the crow as, as something that goes between the worlds, that it, it lives in both yeah. the, the imaginal realm, the, the ethereal realm and our reality of 3D. Well, that's a very good reason, very good reading of what tapped you. You know, in Mexico, if you're going to become a presidential candidate, you are tapado, you are tapped. Uh, Christine, if, if I'm looking at you, I'm saying you are tapped for this interview. And my goodness, <laughs> got you off onto a wonderful role of association. The crow and the raven are messengers of great importance in so many traditions. I mean, in the Iroquoian tradition of the native people in the Northeast where I live, the crows are the messengers. They're the ones who help Hiawatha, the real Hiawatha, to find and confront and break the power of the evil tyrant who's taken possession of the world in the dark time. The crows are the ones who know where to go. They get the good guys where they need to go to break the spell of an evil sorcerer whose tongue goes and grabs people's minds. Does that sound relevant? I'm not being political here, but it does sound somewhat, <laughs> does sound somewhat relevant. So when I think about the indigenous beliefs and traditions of the people of the place where I live, the crows have that importance and the crows and the ravens can go come and go from dark places yes they are messengers between the worlds when i train people to do conscious dreaming in the sense of putting your mind into a different state going to a different place seeing across time maybe maybe going into the realm where the dead are alive things like that i will often invite them to connect consciously with the crow or the raven and borrow their vision and borrow their night sight and borrow their flying ability in order to make a conscious, a so rather shamanic journey in the imagination to see things that we can't see with ordinary eyes. So for all of these reasons, I'm delighted that the crow came to you just before uh -huh. we started talking today, tap, tap, tap. Right, and I think that it was also coming to you because it was right before our interview. And uh, so it's, it's, it's symbolic of, of the importance of what it is you do. Yes, yeah, yeah, great, it's wonderful. So that's an example of the dream coming after you in ordinary life. I mean, let me just say generally about all of this. We all understand now we need sources and resources and tools and places of sanctuary and refuge and help beyond the ordinary to get through this. I mean, there's nowhere safe on the planet for anyone sane right now. There's absolutely nowhere safe in any respect on the planet. So where do we find our safety? Where do we find our compass? Where do we find our navigational ability? I would suggest that the tools of dreaming are what I call active dreaming, which involve not only listening to your sleep dreams, but learning to dream consciously, learning to use your imagination, and learning to look at the world around you as in the play of signs and symbols and synchronicity as a waking dream. These are all things that are needed more urgently now than ever, apart from anything else for entertainment, for, for a quick getaway overnight, for a vacation, for destination travel, but for so much more, for maybe remembering that there's a secret logic, a secret order of events, that despite everything, there's some purpose or meaning to your life and that you might be given the tools to get you through. So that's what the new book is about. And that's what the whole approach is basically about. And the, the timing is absolutely perfect, of course. And one of the things I, I've um, connected this with is the fact that so many people are having issues sleeping through the night. It, the whole pandemic, whether you, you, you believe it's significant or not, um, because it has altered society so much, because things aren't so-called normal, 
um, people are having a hard time processing their fear. People are hard, having a hard time kind of processing dissonance, um, adjusting to new ways of living. So how is it we can take advantage of, um, of that insomnia? Well, you don't have to have insomnia if you recognize that you might have more freedom in how you schedule your sleep-wake cycle today than you had before. So many people are working from home, so many people are working remotely. It is yeah. easier if we make the choice for many of us to decide, okay, I don't have to stay in bed for six, seven or eight hours at a stretch. I can sleep for a while. Then if I'm awake, I'm awake. I do something else. Then I have a nap at some other point in the 24-hour cycle. And that is really the heart of breaking the idea of insomnia. Uh, the other part of breaking the idea of insomnia is you're awake in the middle of the night, relax, lie in bed, try to enter a state of relaxed attention, see if images rise and fall behind closed eyelids. You might find yourself going off into a kind of state of horizontal meditation. You might be amazed by the images that rise and fall. They don't be so quick and so crazy you can't catch them. But that eventually in this state, you might find something really interesting is coming through to you, something like an inner voice something like a connection with some kind of transpersonal guide or teacher, something like an invitation to go off and have a lucid dream adventure because that landscape is so alluring, so interesting. Mm -hmm. You want to stay with that image. So one of the things that I teach people to do is everyday practice. Anyone can do this if you can just learn to relax enough. You know, you wake in the middle of the night or maybe it's before you fall asleep if you're not so tired or maybe it's after you wake up in the morning. Linger, linger with intent, linger with intent in bed and just see what images rise and fall behind your closed eyelids and what you want to do with them. Maybe you just want them to go away. Maybe it doesn't matter to you, but then maybe at some point something interesting will happen because you know it is in that liminal, that threshold state of consciousness, that drifty twilight zone, that creative breakthroughs are often made. It's a time of transpersonal connection with inner voices and transpersonal guides. It's a time, as I say, when you might find an easy access to lucid dreaming. So when people say I've got insomnia, I look at them and I say, well, are you able to take a nap at some time during the day so you can catch up on your Zs? In which case, you don't have to worry about getting your sleep all at once. Be awake, be in between the world. You just go and watch TV or read a book if you prefer. But maybe allow yourself to spend a little bit of time in this liminal state. One of the chapters in my new book is called You Have Treasures in the Twilight Zone. And what I'm talking about is precisely this you have access to amazing sources of creativity and guidance and adventure and fun uh, in this you know, liminal space between sleep and awake if you give yourself permission to hang out there. Right, and I really, I, I love this concept of biphasic sleep. Uh, I know that um, historians say that that's the way we used to sleep. It's not right. the, the seven or eight hours in a row, but in a couple of segments. And I take the same approach when I have the flexibility of my schedule um, where, you know, I might sleep for four hours and then get up and do some things and, you know, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning and then take a nap in the afternoon. And it's, uh, it, it, it does allow me to focus a little bit more on that, that, that waking period that's kind of magical. You know, yes. talked about. I, I, I love the middle of the night. Of course, I'm strange. I'm not recommending that anybody should follow my schedule, but I love three o'clock in the morning. This is very creative time for me. I might just be sitting upstairs reading. I go on a reading binge or reading orgy at that time, but I'll get ideas. I might do some work. I might do some dreaming, but I personally love that malleable, fluid time of night. And I'm usually awake then 
Uh, of course, I, like everybody else, would suffer if I couldn't get the requisite amount of industrial sleep. And the way I sure. do it, that is, it's okay, I'm content to have three hours in the night and a couple of hours later on, and then a nap in the afternoon if I can manage it for an hour. So it adds up to six or seven hours, I guess, in a daily cycle, but in two or three phases. So I'm a polyphasic sleeper. I'm worse than a biphasic sleeper. I'm a polyphasic <laughs> sleeper. And, and, and maybe many people are habituated by life, you know, not to want to go over to something like that. However, because our work, sleep, life, in and out habits have changed so radically, many more of us are able to make different decisions about when it's appropriate to sleep, work, or anything else. So we're getting a lot more flexibility in this situation. And the flexibility might apply to how you use your consciousness and where you direct it to different stages of the day and night. One of the, the things that um, I love about your book is you're, you would also address the not so pleasant dreams. I mean, the, you're talking about this uh, imaginal realm and lucid dreaming and, 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 and these fun places. But sometimes what happens, and I think particularly when we're under stress or when we have this pause and some of the shadow stuff starts to appear, some of the dreams aren't so pleasant. Can you right. speak to that? Well, first of all, I'd say if you are an infrequent dream recaller, in other words, if you don't tend to remember many dreams, it is quite likely that many of the dreams you remember initially will be the ones you don't want, the scary ones, the dramatic ones, because you're not in the habit of catching the whole spectrum of dream experience. And your dream producers, you could look at it this way, are trying to give you a hyper version of something, a dramatized version of something to get your attention. And that might be part of it. Part of this involves confronting the shadow. I mean, Jungians are all familiar with that idea. We have a repressed aspect mm -hmm. in ourselves, something dark we want to keep in the closet comes out in dreams. You've got to deal with that. But part of it is transpersonal. A lot of the scary dreams people are having these days are cautionary dreams about what's going on in ordinary reality. They're reminding them, don't go to that restaurant and eat and drink without a mask over your face, for example. Lots of people are dreaming something as simple as that. Horrible things are going to happen to me if I forget that social distancing is required. Bad things are going to happen to me if I don't cover my mouth and nose in the presence of other people. There's a risk with fire. There's a risk with flood. So a lot of the scary dreams right now are literalistic dreams in the sense that they are realistic, sometimes very dramatized depictions of the, the risks and terrors and difficulties of ordinary reality. And we recognize that, which is why I tend to go over to the other side and, okay, let's have some entertainment, let's have some fun, let's go dreaming tonight and bring back some happy memories, let's have a getaway. But, you I, know, dreaming, dreaming has so many uses. And one of, one of the uses of dreaming is it will put us in touch with our bigger story and maybe the bigger story of, story of everything, the deeper logic of everything that might help us to move beyond all of this into uh -huh. a place of freedom and healing and peace again. Well, one of the things that um, sometimes I struggle with or I'm challenged by is discerning what, whether what I'm dreaming about has to do with me personally or if I'm tapping into the collective. Right. How do you discern you know, which piece we actually own personally and which piece we're tapping into something broader? Well, you trust your feelings to begin with. I mean, when I hear people's dreams, the first thing I want to know is how did you, you feel around this? How do you feel coming out of the dream? Not how did you feel in the dream? That's interesting. But how do you feel as you're coming out? Because your first feelings will tell you if it's negative or positive, personal or not, close to you, urgent or somehow more distant. So your feelings will be your, your first guide. But in response to your question, it's not necessarily either or. A dream can be all of the things that you mentioned and then some. 
Yeah. Dream can be a commentary on the personal state of your psyche and your life and your subconscious. It can also be tapping into the group situation, literally or symbolically or both. Uh -huh. It can be all of these things. I mean, you dream of a terrible hurricane. Okay, there are terrible hurricanes. We see news of them from time to time, right? Or a terrible uh -huh. fire. The dream could be about an emotional crisis in your life, which is going to have the force of a wildfire or the force of a hurricane or a tornado. It could also be about the literal situation on the ground and in the water that is coming up. It could be both things. And in a sense, you know, the external situation might mirror your internal situation. It doesn't mean you're responsible for, for floods and fires, but it means right. the two things could be going on at the same time. So this is one of the things to understand about dreams. Dreams are transpersonal as well as personal. They're social mm -hmm. as well as individual. It's not only all about you. It's interesting to ask of a dream, what part of me is so-and-so in the dream? What part of me is the fire hydrant? What part of me is the wimp? What part of me is the, is the bully? But that's not enough because dreams also are fields of action and interaction with other people and other beings. So you've got to be transpersonal as well as personal. I'll give you one more thing about dreams for now, Christine, before we go on. Dreams always tell you more than you already know. Let me say it again. Dreams always oh, tell us that. more than we already know. It's so important. It might be tiny, it might be of trivial importance, it might be of huge importance, but you'll never lose if you take that attitude. Don't throw the dream away because it seems like tiny, insignificant. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the seemingly humdrum kind of dream contains the most specific information about what's going to happen tomorrow, because tomorrow could be rather humdrum in compared to drag compared with dragons flying out of the mountain cave. But you sure. know. You want to pay attention. Every dream will tell you more than you already know if you'll pay attention. I, I love that. I love that, which means that it's really, really important that we pay attention to them. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the basic practice, if people say, well, what's my practice, whether or not they remember dreams at the moment, I say your basic practice must, must, must be to keep a journal. Write something down every day. You don't have a dream, write something down anyway. A thought, uh -huh. a quote what you saw in the, in the, on the wave or the, the crow tapping at your window, which is like a dream, write right. something down and then your dream producers will perk up and think, oh, well, she's listening, isn't she? She's got a journal. Let's give her something good to put in her journal because we know she's <laughs> going to listen and keep it somewhere. So keeping a journal is fundamental. And I'll say this as a writer who's published 26 books the conventional way and has some more to publish yet. You know, the, your journal is the most important book you will ever write. It really is. Most important okay. book you will ever write. My journal is the most important book I have written or will ever write. It okay. might be the most important book you will read. It will certainly be one of them. You won't understand that. You'll think I'm crazy. You've kept a journal for five years. Then you'll get it. And then you'll be hooked. And then this will be a lifelong practice. So that'll and bring you and lots of other things. One of the things I know about you based on your Facebook posts, and by the way, folks, if you don't already follow Robert Moss on Facebook, you're missing out some interesting stuff. But you often will draw um, based on something that happened in your dream. Um, is it still important for us to draw if we're not as good an artist as you? Oh, I'm not a good artist. I mean, I, 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 I used to love painting as a kid. I wanted to be a painter. I wanted to be an artist more than oh. a writer. But I never really mastered oil painting, which I regret. I could still do it now. You know, I've got a whole oil painting kit in my kitchen, but I'm not doing it. But what I like to do quickies. I'll do a drawing. Maybe I'll bring out oil, oil crayons or watercolors or something. Uh, it's good. It brings out the child in you. It doesn't matter whether you're an artist or not. The child in you, the great imagineer in you, this is one of the secrets of life secrets of imagination, secrets of creativity. The master imagineer, the great imagineer in you is your inner child, your magical child. Mm -hmm. When she comes out to play, you have joy and juice and energy and vision. 
you don't have otherwise. And I find when I pick up, when I pick up, you know, the colored pencils or the stubbies or the crayons or whatever they are, my boy Robert's come out to play with me. And I've got much more, you know, creative energy and vision than otherwise. I actually haven't done a drawing today. You're now mobilizing me to get down and draw. However, the scene with the gin and tonic, maybe that's not for eight-year-old Robert, but <laughs> a funny waiter with the hair flying out. I could, I could draw him. Yeah, I, I just love, when, because I'm at home and can't read my handwriting, I tend to put my dream reports on my phone and then on my computer. So I'm missing some of the drawing I routinely do when I'm traveling around the world with beautiful, you know, uh, blank paged travel journals with lots uh -huh. of in, uh, to, to do my drawings. But I think you've just mobilized me to remember, Robert, wherever you are, get out that sketchbook, draw something from your dreams every day, because that's really good practice mm -hmm. too. So I'm curious about your perspective on where our dreams come from. Well, that's one way of asking it. And uh, let's notice there are different kinds of dreams and they're produced in different ways. Some of our dreams, I think, are actually, actually productions of our personal dream movie companies. I think everybody's got a personal dream production company. Think the right. Walt Disney Studio or something like that behind the scenes that is producing dramas for you. And sometimes they're to wake you up to something, sometimes they're to mobilize you. I remember a woman who came to one of my trainings a doctor, normally very well-spoken Anglo-French doctor with very good manners, and she's cursing at the breakfast table because she's having that same, you know, you know what dream again and again. Right, right. What's the matter, dear? Oh, that same effing dream. Well, what is it? Oh, I've got to do my medical exams again, and I did them 30 years ago, and she's cursing and complaining. <laughs> and I say to her, Lake, I've got the answer for you. There is a dream production company, your personal dream production company behind the curtains of the world. And they're so bored with having to make the same effing dream for you again and again because you will not get the message. What's the message? <laughs> oh, the message with my dream is I'm facing a new test, a new exam in life. I better get ready. My God, she said, that's right. That's true. I know what it is and I haven't been doing anything about it. Well, well, you do that. You get ready for your new life test and you'll stop having the same effing dream. And she did. So we're laughing about the idea that you have a dream production company. So that's right. part of it. What is the dream production company? Well, maybe it's the work of a larger aspect of ourselves, our inner council of advisors. So that's one way of looking at a certain kind of dream. Another way of looking at it, this is, it's not how the dreams come to you, it's how you get into dreamland and bring back an experience. Because in dreams, you might be traveling. You might be traveling beyond the body. You might be traveling yeah. beyond ordinary reality. You and I have talked about this theme before. You might, for yeah. example, be traveling to a parallel life, a continuous Absolutely. life, you're living somewhere else with that former partner or that former job. And you uh -huh. went there. So yes. what you're bringing back is you're bringing back to yourself and it is the memory of an experience in a separate reality. So that's another way of looking at certain dreams. It's not how they come to you. It's how you went there and what souvenirs and memories you were brought back. Maybe memories of the future, maybe memories of parallel life, maybe memories of another time and place when you're in the situation of someone you're connected to in a past life or another life. So that's another way of looking at it. And then of course, if we think that we might have some form of larger intelligence that's trying to communicate to us. And I certainly hope we do, whether you call it God or goddess or nature or the higher self or the great uh -huh. union self or the ancestors, then it might be that dreams are one of the ways that a larger intelligence tries to get through to us. It might be the voice of conscience. It might be an effort to restore our inner compass. It might be an effort to recall us to some understanding of what we're doing and not doing in this world. So I like to think that actually 
dreams are also a way of accessing the sacred, the divine, the greater self. Mm, love this. We have to go to a quick break, but stay tuned, folks, for more with Robert Moss. I'm Peggy Snow with another Stellar Reflections Minute. Presence, or what we think of as being fully in the moment, is a key element in the process of healing work. As a practitioner facilitating a session, genuine presence takes us out of our heads where we tend to decide what is and maybe what should be for the client and moves us into direct experience where we're available to witness the person in their wholeness. In this receptive realm, our senses are heightened and expanded, allowing us to perceive what's seeking to unfold and to interact in the moment. There's something profoundly powerful that happens when healing is approached in this simple, pure way. Balance can be restored and healing can take place on multiple levels. If you'd like more information about the services we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Are you meeting your sales goals? Or maybe your business plan could use a dose of the divine. Tune in to Divinely Driven Results with faith-based business coach Elise Smith on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Coach Elise Smith helps listeners get unstuck from their business plateau and become empowered through divine guidance. Build up belief in yourself and your dreams and learn business strategies that work for you for real lasting results. Learn more by visiting www.DivinelyDrivenResults.com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance. From the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On the Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. How to lead a happier life on Miles to Go with Brittany Miles. How to lose to gain it all. Join Brittany every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen as coach and healer Brittany Miles share stories that teach you about surrender. For more information about Brittany, MilesToGoCoaching.com. Welcome back to the Christine Upshirt Show here on KKNW AM 1150 in the Seattle area and on Transformation Talk Radio around the world. I'm having a fascinating conversation with Robert Moss, who's a New York Times bestselling author and the creator of Active Dreaming. Now, Robert, one of the things I love about your current book is that you have laid things out sort of step by step, chapter by chapter about um, encouraging us to take certain steps so that we can grow these big dreams. Why in this book did you choose to sort of organize it like that? Well, putting a list, you know, over a non-linear subject is an interesting exercise. People like They like one-liners they can internalize and remember. So I took on the challenge 
of trying to distill you know, a lot of guidance, a lot of experience into 12 simple statements about life, reality, and how to, you know, grow your dreams of possibility. The first of them is dreams show you the secret wishes of the soul. And I like to explain mm -hmm. this for a moment. Dreams show you the secret wishes of your soul. You know, when you think about it, if you're going to manifest your heart's desires, you better get in touch with what your heart longs for, hadn't you? Instead of just thinking from the head, thinking from the ego, thinking from the gut, thinking about other people's expectations and calculations. One of the things I learned in a critical moment in my life when I was called in lucid dreams to an ancient native woman healer, Narondiwana, a woman of power of Iroquoian tradition, is that in her language, the most important thing to know about dreams is they show you the, the ondinunk, this funny word, which it took me a while to translate. It means the secret wishes of the soul. Your dreams mm -hmm. show you what the soul wants in your life as opposed to the ego. And so the job of decent people in a decent society is to gather around you and listen to your dream and see if they can help you discern what the soul wants and take action to manifest what the soul wants. So you don't get soul bereft, so your vital energy doesn't go away. So that's mm -hmm. where my book begins. And then it broadens from there, still thinking about dreams into the statement I made earlier, that dreams always show you more than you already know. They always tell you more than you already know. So we've got a very practical hands-on approach to understanding that dreams show us what the soul wants in our life. And they also give us means to manifest it by showing us practical tools and ways and options that might be open to us. Then we go on from there. Then the second chapter, the second statement, the second secret is, your great your imagineer is your magical child. We talked about this mm -hmm. briefly earlier. Don't tell me you don't have any dreams or imagination. You do. The beautiful, bright dreamer of you has all the dreams and imagination you need, but she might have taken off, you know, when the world got cold and cruel and you were a kid, you got frightened right. and it helped you. She might have gone. Shamans call that soul loss. So let's bring her back. Let's make soul clap its hands and sing and get your beautiful, bright dreamer back in your body. So that chapter is all about reopening the path you're in a child, a magical child, and playing with her, making that part of your daily practice. And then we go on from there. We talk about things like, you know, what is in your way might be your way. I'm borrowing from the Stoic Emperor Marcus Aurelius. What is in your way might be your way. It's hard to think about sometimes. Even the pandemic might turn out to be a blessing if it gets humans to reboot, reset their relationship with nature, with each other, with the planet, through all this darkness. What in your life has gone wrong could be a gift if you figure out how to take it and make it a gift. Setback could be an opportunity. Hard thing to think about when you feel betrayed or abandoned by the world or just crushed and oppressed. We've got to think about it. Got to think about it now. So that's a very important chapter. And, and I think that most people have experienced something where... Um, in hindsight they, hindsight, they realize that an obstacle was actually a huge blessing. Yes. And yes. so sometimes we're not meant to surmount the obstacle. Sometimes we're meant to just sort of kind of, you know, reorient our path based on it. That's um, right. That's right. Sometimes the obstacle is put in our way. Sometimes you feel it's very personal, like there's some unseen power. It's actually putting that obstacle right there. You're going to figure out what to do about it. What to do about it might be to take a different way because you're on the wrong way. The obstacle might be there to absolutely block you. Or the obstacle might be a test of your resolution, your ability to develop the courage and the skill sets to get beyond it. But, you know, right. either way, there might be a reason for the obstacle, which is actually positive if you're prepared to work at it rather than just kick kick it with your foot and curse. You know, so. uh -huh. Right. <laughs> Right. Another very practical chapters in the book is about this experience available to us in this liminal state of hypnagogia between sleep and awake, the twilight zone of consciousness. We talked a little bit about that. 
And then we go, of course, into, you know, you are magnetic. What does that mean? Well, it's the law of attraction, but not the silly version. Your attitude goes ahead of you, influencing everything that you will encounter in life. Consider your attitude and consider your power to choose your attitude, however difficult circumstances might be. And notice right. how spiritual gravitation, as the Irish mystic A.E. called it, as it worked in all turnings. Then there's, a, then there's a principle that I borrowed from the Aborigines of my native Australia, who say the big stories, the big stories in life are hunting the right people to tell them. Your big story is hunting you, the story that wants to be lived in you, by you. So that chapter is a rousing invitation using all sorts of myth and drama to step out of the tired old little stories like a used up snakeskin, drop the old family histories, drop the, drop the old patterns of despair and defeat and step into a bigger and braver story that might give you the courage to get through what life is throwing at you. And it goes on like this. And then finally, without going through every chapter title, finally we get to the last two chapters. Let me mention these two because one of the titles is just so thrilling. And I think if you get it, I think you're really going to like it. I'm speaking to all our viewers and listeners. Uh, the 11th secret of, of the imagination is you do not have to drive used karma. You do not have to the drive used yes. karma. You don't have to go around with these old stories from this life and from other lives, because in a sense, it's all going on now. Now is your point of power. Now is the point at which you can free yourself from the guilt and, and the, the, the repetition of all those old dramas, whether they're past lives or earlier stages of this life or parallel lives uh -huh. going on differently. You don't have to drive used karma. And the very last principle is so simple and so true. If you'll just take it in, let me just give it to you slowly. Slight pause coming up. <laughs> the stronger the imagination, the less imaginary the results. The stronger oh, the imagination, the less imaginary the results. If we put down the imagination, imagination and we say it's all magical thinking. Well, there's magical thinking in the negative sense. We see it all over the place, silly stuff. We do. Yeah. But we know that the imagination is actually a great creative engine and that we can begin to grow visions of life for ourselves and others so strong and so rich and so true they will want to take root in the world. So that's right. what all of this is about. And the funny thing is, I basically finished the book before we'd all realized what the pandemic was, before it had been fully announced it was upon us. And yet I really didn't have to revise it very much because it seems that it's been written for now. I did add some pages yes. at the end about how the pandemic is affecting the way that people are dreaming right now, which is a very interesting subject. It is. But it seems as if the book came through me in a certain way, although I didn't consciously understand what the pandemic was, because it was the book to bring out right now. So that, that brings up this concept of, as we work in the, this and with this imaginal realm, that we also step into divine timing. Yes. Well, let me tell you a little story about this. It's a very simple one. Uh, you, you've read the introduction and you know that I quote Viktor Frankl, who probably everyone watching your show knows about his famous book, Man's Search for Meaning. And very briefly, it is the very, very, very inspiring story of a man sent to Nazi death camps, a Viennese psychiatrist, who uses his dreaming and his imagination to grow a vision of a happy future that gets him through the death camps. He survives the death camps. He finds himself a year after a year after the defeat of Germany, giving the lecture he dreamed that he would be giving on the psychology of the death camps in a well-fed, before a well-fed audience in a lecture theater. So it's a story of someone claiming the power to use his dreams and imagination against all odds in this impossible nightmare of history 
to get himself through. Well, I dreamed that I was going to take his story, which I retold myself in a previous book, and tell it a different way in the introduction to my new book. And I woke up and I thought, well, I'm going to do that, but wait a minute, it's now probably December last year. Is this rather dark way to open a book about manifesting the heart's desires, taking us back to Auschwitz? No, no, mm -hmm. I have to do it. And then when the pandemic came upon us, you know, drawing the comparison. I mean, the, the point is, if, if Viktor Frankl can dream his way through Auschwitz, however hard our circumstances, maybe we've got a chance too. Maybe we can use the techniques he used to grow a vision of possibility of a better life and reduce all the dark stuff to the ash can, to the trash can of history. So it was the right introduction. And I dreamed it. And I simply acted on my dream. I, I wasn't channeling my dream, taking it down line by line, but I wrote the introduction in no time because the dream had showed me what to do. And that's why the book was pitch perfect i think for where we are and, and as a reader it didn't feel dark at all no. it it was really emphasizing the power of the imagination so it was a perfect place to start right 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 yeah, and i i've often said that to myself since i first met victor frankel through his book i was probably a kid i was probably a teenager in australia and i thought back then and i've thought ever since here's a man who asserts the principle that Whatever your situation in life, you always have the power to choose your attitude and that can choose everything and applies his considerable creative imagination. Well, he's basically a walking skeleton with a tattoo on the arm, can be killed at any moment. He uses the power of imagination to build in his mind, in every detail, the vision of giving a lecture, giving a lecture in which he's looking at Hitler and all of that as past history. And he steps into that vision and survives the war. It's such an incredibly arousing story for all of us, given the circumstances we find ourselves in. If he could do that in Auschwitz, maybe we can dream and imagine our way through too. Yes. Before we go any further, Robert, um, I know we're gonna like talk until the very end. I wanna make sure our listeners know and, and viewers know how they can connect with you and what it is you offer. Well, my website is mossdreams.com, moss like my name, like the moss you see on trees throughout the Pacific Northwest, mossdreams.com. Uh, uh, and the new book is Growing Big Dreams, Manifesting Your Heart's Desires Through the 12 Secrets of the Imagination. And that is published this month and it's available from the usual suspects in your independent bookstore right now. Yeah, yeah. And I know that you offer some courses through the Shift Network and... Um, you know, oh, thank you. Yes, we're about to look. We're just finishing a long one, a pretty good one. We're called Adventures for Healing in the Dreamtime. We've been drawing on many world traditions of dreaming. We're going to launch a new one in November. That's coming up soon. And there'll uh -huh. be an intro call on Halloween on Samhain. So we're going to be dreaming <laughs> beyond the veil on Halloween. And that's perfect. Part of, that's part of what will be in the new course. Because I mean, lots of people right now are thinking about death and the dying. And the uh -huh. department and their relations with all of those and they need help uh -huh. encouragement to deal with all that and they're going to get them so tell me robert i know that there are many people who believe that the veil between the living and the dead is thinning what's your perspective on it well i notice that more people than ever and i mean i i see hundreds of dream reports a day correction i could read hundreds of dream reports a day because i'm a teacher right. and i have these schools and all these classes and uh, I read probably 50 or 60 detailed reports every day, but I, I can wow. hundreds. And I would say that the largest category of dreams that are being reported and shared with people urgently where you want, need guidance on are dreams involving the deceased, the departed, or relations with death in a larger sense. And this is understandable. Wow. Death is around us. People are dying without traditional rituals or, or farewell without even necessarily seeing the survivors. People want to know what's right. going on. They want healing. 
they want some assurance of continuity and all of that. So, and dreams, uh, they are being reminded, are a natural, not supernatural way of connection, mutual forgiveness, healing, mutual guidance between the dead and the living. It's always been so. But more right. people, including many of those who never wanted to talk about dreams or never wanted to fess up to a dream like this, are now prepared to share and talk about it because they want to share. They want to feel themselves part of a community that is mutually supportive and they want guidance on how to work with these things. So I see a lot of these dreams. And I would say this, and I find this very interesting. Most of the dreams in which people are meeting the departed are happy dreams in the sense that people feel consoled, they feel reassured, they have some suggestion that they can, can live with, that, that life survives physical death. And often they're in situations where the departed are giving them a house tour or showing them what things are like on the other side, which can sometimes be a very interesting scenario. So they're learning some kind of geography, some kind of residential information on afterlife options. So I find this aspect of dreaming, which has always been fascinating to me, and I've written a couple of books about it, more important than ever in the dreams that people are registering and wanting to work with today, because they need guidance and they need firsthand information on what happens after death. They need guidance on how to make the transit well, and they want to know how to communicate with loved ones who have been taken too soon. And they're getting that guidance in their dreams if they'll pay attention. And I'm compelled to ask you, Robert, to you, what does a dog symbolize? Because we've got a dog barking in the background. And I, was wondering, as I, I don't waiting, believe in mistakes. I, I, I was waiting to see whether you heard it. That is my walking alarm bell. He's a miniature schnauzer. <laughs> He's a diva. He makes a lot of noise when people come to the door. And we were hoping that he would either be contained or silenced or that that visitor wouldn't arrive before the end of the show. But the dog, for me, is a great friend of humans and actually a great guide of souls. In many traditions, the dog, usually a large dog than my little miniature schnauzer is, uh -huh. is is a psychopomp he's a guide of souls or a guardian of gates between the dead and the living think of anubis Interesting. think of cerberus so we're talking what are we talking about just then right then we're talking yes. about relations with the departed and one of the great teachers in teaching dream situations in my life in relation to the dead was what happened with a beautiful huge black labrador uh, uh german shepherd mutt called Kipling was killed on the road the night before Halloween many years ago and came oh. back to me again and again and again in dreams and to showed me what his afterlife was like and became a sort of guide. He became a sort of generic guide. He became what I called Anubis in the backyard. He became more than himself. He became the black dog. So he's a little black dog. He's a black schnauzer. But when you ask me what does the dog mean, I'm thinking we're talking about relations with the departed. And uh -huh. the black dog, the black dog for me is an impeccable guide and a great friend and ally in relation to this theme. And in my own conscious dreaming, I sometimes call on the black dog to escort me and escort others in our journeys to the other side and back. So right. thank you for asking. I was just thinking, can she actually hear it? But of course she can hear it. <laughs> I, well, you know, I was wondering if you could hear my cat scratching on the carpet on the other side of my door, you know, so. I, I didn't hear your cat. Had my black cat been down here and wanted to get out, you would have heard demonic caterwauling. He makes demonic sound <laughs> when he wanted to get out the door. But I made sure we didn't get the black cat. We just got the black dog uh, barking at some guy who, who, who came. I mean, this is one of the wonderful things though about, um, the stage that we're in, I know that that you would often do interviews from your home anyway, and yet more and more people are having Zoom meetings, they're doing interviews instead of at offices at their homes. 
and it adds an, a layer of authenticity that I think is absolutely perfect. And it brings us down to earth a little bit more. So it's it's like, yeah, Robert's got a dog, and 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 and, and, and his his doggy likes to, well, to make with your, with your usual brilliance, you're making it part of the story because we're talking about how we're dreaming all the time, and everything that pops up—the crow tapping on the window, the dog yapping at the door. Right. is part of the, the the dream you know scenario that we're living eyes open ears open and suddenly all these associations with the black dog started screaming out of me because it has been one of the most important connections in my life i will say to people when it comes to noticing the dreamlike play of signs and symbols around you develop a sense of your personal omens i'm not talking about hand-me-down superstitions now i'm sort of just saying Notice what something means to you when it turns up and then when it turns up again and monitor what it means to you. And I would say that for me, a friendly black dog is always a good sign, always a good omen. Well. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, a crow is always a good sign. And in fact, I've sort of got this history of like crow feathers showing up. And in fact, um, there was one time I was, I was heading into my therapist's office a few years ago and there on the entrance to the door into the building was a crow feather. I left it there. When I came out of her office there in the in interior hallway, there was a crow feather right there outside the door. And, and I kept seeing crows coming near me. And now there's a crow tapping at the window. So it's, um, yeah. And, and so for me, I pay attention to crows. And I saw a dead crow on my path the other day. And it didn't look like it had been attacked by an animal. It looked like it just like, you know, put its feathers out and died on its back. And uh, I'm still trying to figure that that one out, but I, I, it's part of my the symbolism in, in my symbolic dictionary that I pay attention when to. When I was walking in ancestral territory in the western borderlands of Scotland in Dumfriesshire, where my father's people came from, I was looking for the site of a famous battle around the year 600, when the last pagan king of this part of the world was defeated by a Christian army and things changed. And the signs seemed to be misdirecting me. I, the signs pointed to a scene of the battle. I didn't believe it. I thought the battle was somewhere else. No tourists around here, very much off the tourist track. I thought, found a strange conical hill, hill in this part of the border territory. And two black birds were on the ground, still warm, their talons interlocked. Apparently they died fighting each other in midair and fallen to the ground. Oh. And I knew what better sign that this was the scene of what was basically a, a civil war between right. two factions of the border people than those two black birds with their talons intertwined. So that's how specifically the world can point a finger or a feather at you, right? Yes, yes. And it's it's funny because I've been thinking recently a lot about truth. Now I've got a very rational mind and I can sort through all sorts of aspects of, of information that is, you know, in this 3D realm, but I don't think we can really find our way to truth until we tap into that part of ourselves that that is connected to the intuition to the imaginal realm because that's it's kind of like it's that's the aha where you have this knowingness in your whole being that something is true yeah well you, you know how you know truth in your heart don't you and finally, you know truth by what you remember and act upon in your life. You know, truth is not something you just ask Google to show you. Truth is not just something you look up. Your truth right. in your life as a living concept is what you remember and act upon. In Greek, mm. the word for truth is aletheia, which means overcoming the waters of aletheia, the waters of forgetfulness, and remembering what it's all about. And in that sense, this dreaming, as I practice and offer it, 
is a way of remembering, of soul remembering, of remembering what matters on a higher level. And it reopens mm -hmm. the voice of conscience, which we hear so little from in the lives of some people of deportative misrulers today. We need to hear the voice of conscience. We need to have a way of resetting our inner compass. We need to have a way of connecting ourselves to each other and to a larger purpose. And the kind of dream that I teach and practice will put us there. Yeah. And, and I really love what you just said about connecting to a larger purpose, because for me, you know, I, I feel like I showed up on this planet sort of mission-based in a sense that, that, you know, I'm here to help fulfill a, a grander purpose. And I think that many of our listeners today, viewers today feel the same way. So, um, are you saying that it's really important for us to connect with our own, you know, purpose and imaginal realm and the connection there um, for the collective? I think so. I mean, I think so. I think we have to work, we have to do our own work. We have to follow our own way. And as we do that, we'll find that we are supporting the collective, but we must start by doing our own work in our own minds, our own minds, mind, minds and minds, the kind of minds in the sense of things that hold treasure and you have to dig deep to get to it. I think we have to do oh, our personal work. And then as we do that, we build a community of people also alive, conscious and individual while rejoicing and being part of an intentional family of those who can and will rebuild the world. It's as important yes. as that. So how do we find our intentional family in, in, a, in a minute or less? Well, I find my dreamers find each other. We've now grown an intentional community of dreamers all over the world. I mean, I've trained teachers of active dreaming from two dozen countries. And we have we have many communities that are seeking each other out, sharing on a regular basis. Now with the Zoom age, they're doing increasingly by Zoom or by other means, but you know, they're also gathering when they can. And we have a means of sharing in a group, which is really very good. It rotates leadership. You play the role of guide and, and speaker alternately. You learn to tell your story very well. So I've also invented a way of talking in a group about dreams, about personal stories, et cetera, which always leads to action and always builds a sense of community with a revolving leadership, which is profoundly democratic with a small d, because mm, you, get a be, you get a chance to be guide and you get a chance mm. to be speaker. You get a, stance, a chance to have your story heard tell your story as well as you can so that's yeah. been I, we're, we've run out of time robert but i want to mention your website again mossdreams.com and uh, i want to recommend your book as well which is on your website and you can uh, find your way to it on amazon and any other place including your independent bookstore robert our hour always flies by way too quickly. It's always a, a joy to talk with you. Thank you for doing what you're doing and for being on the show. Oh, it's a delight, Christine. Thank you so much. May your best dreams come true. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us here today. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.